Okay, so I've been listening to a good bit of Temple Grandin recently, and she just said something there that's after clicking something in my brain. I was like, oh, fuck yeah, there's an episode in that. And what she said was, it was in relation to selective breeding in cattle. And she gave an example of how selective breeding has gone wrong in pedigree bulldogs. Because apparently what bulldogs are specifically bred for, what they're selectively bred for, is head size. The bigger the head, the better. But that's become such such a problem that bulldogs now, especially pedigree bulldogs, have to be born via cesarean section. Because their head is so grossly oversized that it literally won't fit through the the regular birth canal or the the birth passage and this is what she calls bad becoming normal and this reminds me of another um, expression by a guy Adam Curtis a documentarian I'm a big fan of and his word is hypernormalization which is essentially bad becoming normal compounded it's bad becoming normal in a positive feedback loop and what it got me thinking about is how quick we are the propensity that people have generally to normalise things. And what springs to mind as an, as an example is either weight gain or weight loss. So I'll do weight gain first because weight gain usually precedes weight loss, believe it or not. So we weigh, let's say, I don't know, 80 kilos. And that's what we weigh and we're happy with our weight and everything's grand. But then, you know, hop, skip and, month, hop, skip and jump a month or two or whatever it is and you're 82 kilos. Ah, you know, now you're 82 kilos, no big deal. And that becomes normal. You've, you've put on two kilos, but you're like fucking four pounds, no big deal. But 82 kilos becomes the new normal. And then in, you know, hop, skip and jump another couple of months and you weigh 84 kilos. But you've only put on two kilos, four pounds, like no big deal. You only, you weigh 84 kilos, what the fuck? Like, no big deal, basically. But that becomes normalised. And then hop, skip and jump, you know, another couple of months or maybe a year. And it's 86 kilos. But, you know, you've only put on two kilos. It's four pounds. No big deal. And before you know it, you're fucking 90 kilos. And you're 20 pounds overweight. And you kind of look down and you go, holy shit. Where the fuck did all this come from? And what has happened along the way is you wore out your clothes and you needed to buy new ones. And you didn't observe the size on your clothes. You just went in and tried something on. If it fitted well and good. And if it didn't. You got something that did fit. But you're not logging your waist's, waist size. You're not logging. Oh I was 32 inches. And now I'm 36 inches. Fuck. And you, you'll do mental gymnastics. To explain away what you don't want to maybe face. And what you don't want to face. Is that you've put on 10 or 20 pounds. And what you'll say is. Ah oh, the, the clothes have shrank in the wash. Or just have got great use out of them, you know, they've they've shrank. Or, you know, we'll, we'll come up with all sorts of nonsensical fucking things. Sensical and nonsensical things to kind of justify our fucking uselessness. We never really want to highlight or spotlight the things that we, you know, aren't particularly proud of. And we end up buying progressively baggier and baggier clothes than we used to. We used to wear figure-hugging clothes because we had a figure to hug. But now we, we wear baggier and baggier clothes because we're, we've got more and more to hide. And conversely, this, this happens with weight loss as well as weight gain. And what I want to get to is this idea of... I want to tie in visualisation here because... What we tend to do is... 
again, normalize things. So we weigh, again, let's say 90 kilos. And we're on a bit of a health buzz and we're looking to lose weight. So after a while, we weigh 89 kilos. And that becomes normal. And then we might lose another kilo if we keep, if we keep up with it. And we weigh 88 kilos. And then we lose another kilo after another month or a week or whatever it is. And you're 87 kilos. But what happens then is the 87 kilos become, becomes normalized. That's what you weigh now. So if you have a stag weekend or whatever else, or maybe you've, I know you're up late or you're not sleeping or you're stressed at work or, or whatever else, something knocks you off your good eating habits and you go from 87 kilos to 88 kilos. It's like, oh, for fuck's sake, you're after putting on a kilo. You're a kilo heavier than you were. You were 87 and now you're 88. Oh, for fuck's sake, I'm going in the wrong direction. But what you've forgotten about is that you used to be fucking 90. So instead of kicking yourself for having put on a kilo, you should be patting yourself in the head because you're down three. And this is where visualizations come in. I watched a great YouTube video there recently. It was something as near as makes no difference of my one year body transformation. And this lad, he lost, I think it was 50 kilos. Now, to put that into perspective, my missus weighs about 60 kilos. So he effectively lost an entire person of excess fat that was hanging off him. So he went from a grotesquely obese human to, you know, a relatively fit fucking dude. And now it took me a year and fair play to him and all the rest of it. But one thing I want to focus on is in part of the video, and I might use it as the thumbnail for the Instagram page, off the lead official on Instagram. He had a graph on the wall which was denoting his weight loss. And the real beauty of this was it gave you a visual. It, ga it gave you a real sense of what has happened over a long period of time. Because with weight loss or weight gain, it'll go up and it'll go down, it'll go up and it'll go down, it'll go up and it'll go down. Now, provided it's down overall if you're looking to lose weight or up overall if you're looking to gain weight. That's the important thing. But what drawing it on a graph shows you is it's not a straight line from being where you are to where you want to be. It's a, it's a, it's a rocky path, basically, with, with peaks and troughs. And it, it stops you from normalising what you weigh at any given time because you can get to see a big picture. Again, it's, it's, all it is is a, it's a, it's a viewpoint thing. It's a framing thing. What way are you looking at your weight? Well, I'm up in the last... I'm up in weight in the last fortnight. But you're down in weight over the last six months. So which of those two things do you want to concentrate on? It depends on what your goals are, whether you're looking to put on muscle mass or lose body fat, say. But the principle is the same, and the visualisation works. Having that graph, it works for me, and you're, maybe I'm more of a visual thinker than I once thought. Or maybe that's just a side of myself that I've neglected because I tend to be very thought-focused. You may have noticed. I don't think you can really be anything other than thought-focused and bang out fucking 42 podcasts 42 days in a row, 15 minutes fucking long, there, thereabouts, peace. But I'm wondering, am I too mind-centric at the minute? Do I need to incorporate a bit of soulfulness into my life? And I don't mean, you know, go and play guitar or go dance or sing. or Like, you don't have to go to any extremes. Visuals will work. So maybe I should be putting what I'm thinking into pictures using that guy's graph 
as an example. So that's something that I'm going to have to have a think about. What other ways can I visualize what I'd like to do and what I'd like to achieve? Because in, a, in an episode only in the last one or two past ones, I mentioned the idea of when I was building the business at the start, it was all mental, I all had it in my head, then I drew it on the page. That was visual, that was kind of bringing my soul into it a little bit and integrating it. And then I had a visual for it and I had an idea in my head for it. And then I suppose I effectively manifested it by actually building the fucking thing and getting it up out of the ground and, and running and supplying people and charging people for it and getting paid and, and all the rest of it. And I think, generally speaking, visualizations can be an antidote to hypernormalization, or visualizations can be an antidote to bad becoming normal. And what's just coming to mind now is another example of this same phenomenon, only in reverse. A lot of entrepreneurs, because entrepreneurs and artists are, are very tightly aligned, a lot of entrepreneurs have a vision. That's what you'll hear them talking about. Lads that haven't started their businesses yet, like myself, I, I had a vision for what it might become or what it might look like. So that's having not started. And then there's guys who've retired and uh, they've got 10,000 people working for them, but they'll reminisce about this vision that they had. And they, they brought it, they manifested it, they brought it into the world. But what, what, what entrepreneurs in the early stage of having a vision are told to do and should be told to do is to come up with a business plan. Because a business plan is taking your vision and putting it into words as opposed to taking your words and crafting a vision for it. And I don't really know which one is more important. The ironclad business plan with all your projections and all the rest of it or the more wishy-washy kind of vision, the thing that, the, the, the fire in, that burns inside you that's going to drive you to actually achieve whatever it is that you're looking to achieve. I don't know which one is more important, but like most things, they're fucking inextricably linked. You need, you can't do it all, you can't do it all with just one side of what you need. And another bit of advice that guys get at, in during the early stages is to pick a business partner that's, unlike you there's no point in having two of you within the business so if I was to look for a business partner for my own business I don't need somebody who has I don't need an ideas person I don't need somebody who is a visionary thinker who can see the angles what I need is somebody a lot more conservative a lot more focused on the detail somebody who doesn't really do big picture that well. Somebody that likes implementing procedures and protocols. A more more managerially minded person. A more administratively minded person. I can do the big picture stuff. I fucking... That kind of stuff spilling out my fucking ears. Ideally, if I was looking for a business partner, it would be somebody a lot more grounded, a lot more conservative. And that's the side of myself that I have to develop a lot more. So I struggle with doing office work of any description. Like the fucking, the census was here in Ireland there the other day. 
everybody else in the country can just fill it out and give it to the fucking person who comes to collect. But me, no, 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 no. I had to make a big fucking deal out of it and not do it and then not do it and then not do it. And because I'm getting better, I finally one day fucking sat down, did it and stuck it in the fucking post and it's done to fuck. And that's an exa- that's a, an example of how I'm getting better at doing that. But it's something that, I, that I've had to work on. And it's something that I still struggle with and it's something that I will most likely always struggle with to a degree. And this podcast has helped. Committing to doing something every day for a set period of time. That helps. Because all the pie in the sky thing, all that creative stuff, that just comes naturally to me. That requires absolutely no work whatsoever. But it's the other more analytical side that needs work. And the goal of course here is to improve your weak spots, to strengthen your strong areas and to amalgamate the two and to become more than the sum of their parts. But I think in hindsight, and I suppose what's coming out of the wash here, what I need to concentrate on, and I mentioned this in a previous episode in relation to the next season, I think I've, I I certainly haven't finished doing seasons like this. Because there's, there's savage utility in it for me. And I've probably organised my mind more in the last 40 odd episodes over the last six weeks than I have in the last six months to possibly even a year. I, I feel like I've made a leap or two in a couple of different avenues in my thinking. But it's, it's one dimensional because it's just the realm of audio. I think video is next. Because... As much as I've enjoyed and as good as it's been speaking extemporaneously like this and getting everything out of my mind and into the world, as valuable as as that has been to me, it's very limiting. I like the idea of being able to do a 15-minute episode, but to be able to throw up a fucking picture or point to a graph or hold something up in my fucking hand... Now, maybe I'll struggle with that. I won't know until I actually go and do it. I certainly didn't struggle with it with the bow video or the wine-making kit video. That came naturally to me and it was a lot easier, to be honest, because you have tangible things that you can fucking point to and squeeze and show different angles of to the camera. And in one sense, in comparison to only having audio and only being able to talk about things that don't require visuals, like that's been very limiting. But in a good way, don't get me wrong. But it'll be just interesting to see what the fuck I come out with when I have props, essentially. Or maybe video clips. And I suppose another thing that's coming out of the wash here is I've kind of done the audio thing. Not that I'm finished with it. But because I've done so much of it, I feel the need to move on, to progress. And I obviously wouldn't have that progression had I not committed to doing all the audio stuff in the first place. And one thing that's common amongst people who succeed and do well generally is the volume of things that they put out in the world. So if you look at all the top composers, Beethoven and Bach and and all the rest of them, it's not my bag, I don't know anything about them really, but one thing that I do know about them is the top five guys, the top five composers of all time, they wrote more composition than anybody else. And the same can be said for documentarians. The best of the best of the best. 
they, they produce more content. You mightn't get to see it all or hear it all or know anything about it. But volume is key. It's the same with businesses. The, oftentimes the most successful businesses are started by people who've had 10 failed businesses before they hit the one. And the, the idea, the point I'm laboring to get across is the people, the, the more content that you pump out, and not even content, but the, the more stuff you do, the better you become at doing either that particular thing or stuff generally. There's an element of, of volume. You, you, need, you need volume to get better at anything. And it, no matter what you can think of, the more volume of it that you do, the better. If you want to be a better singer, fucking sing more. You want to lift more weights, lift weights more often. You want to become a better podcaster. You want to become more articulate. You want to do anything. Volume is key. Volume over time is key. And on that somewhat meandering note, I'll chat to you in the final episode of the series tomorrow.